0: the Lord Jesus, as we look at um, this account, really this first account, first written account really of um, his uh, ministry. We think of uh, Mark writing this from the church in Rome around about 45, 50 AD, Um, Peter and Paul. Um, Still alive and still very much part of, uh, well, you know, getting involved in that church in Rome. Mark's writing this, talking to Peter. And uh, this is really the first account, the first written account that's out and being circulated um, amongst the churches. So, uh, we're going to pick it up from... uh, 6 verse uh, 1, I'm reading New American Standard, you all have different uh, versions and slightly different words, Um, but this is the way it goes. Uh, Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and the many listeners were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. There's a parallel passage in Matthew 13. And uh, compared the two passages, basically we get to understand that Jesus lived in Capernaum and that he was returning to his hometown of Nazareth. Um, and, um, of course, Jesus really is Jesus of Nazareth. We don't think of him as being Jesus of Capernaum. He's always Jesus of Nazareth. He's the prophet from Nazareth or the Nazarene. That's who he is. So Jesus... Uh, and Nazareth always go very closely together. Um, We also learn from this that um, he came from a big family. Um, He was one of at least seven children. There were five boys and at least two girls. We don't know the exact number, but we know it was more than one. So, uh, you know, fairly big family, but frankly, quite typical of those times. Um, I think it's uh, worth noting that Joseph is not mentioned. Um, Probably then, you know, I think it's fair for us to infer that Joseph had passed away by then. So we can think of Jesus really um, growing up in that household, being the eldest son. Um, His father passes away and he then, you know, assumes the the role of the, the head of the household. And then obviously some time has gone by and Jesus has now left the home and the home environment. And then he's gone and got his own place um, in, a, in a town down the road in Capernaum. And he set himself up as a carpenter. Um, he's a, the, the Greek word there is tekton. I was just talking to Paul Eaton about it. Paul Eaton is a tekton. That's a carpenter builder, carpenter builder. So that's what he is. So I know we tend to think of him working at the lathe and making intricate carvings and stuff. That's, that all comes from that one um, Christmas carol. <laughs> um, so the word tecton is a you know carpenter builder. Um, now let's have a look at the reaction really when Jesus goes back to his hometown. Um, there's no problem with his teaching. They are amazed. They are astonished. I like that word astonished. Um, The the Greek word indicates uh, they're struck. It's like somebody slapping you on the face. They're like, it's a massive wake-up call. Wow. And we see this reaction elsewhere. Nobody ever taught like that. Nobody ever preached like that. The scribes and the Pharisees who would take the main burden of the teaching, not like that at all. This guy is something new. And they recognize wisdom there as well. What is this wisdom that he's been given? What is this wisdom that he's been given, the way that he is interpreting the scriptures? Of course, it'd be the Old Testament scriptures. Um, they're, They're just, you know, it's like a completely, wow, this is amazing. The word of God is suddenly open to them. There's revelation coming. So there's nothing wrong with his preaching. And they're even looking at where, what is the origin of this? They talk about this that he's been given, there's a, there's a, a, you know, is there a suggestion there that they're recognizing there is a divine um, deposit given to Jesus here, that this isn't just coming from any man, but this is given to him from heaven. And there's no query about the miracles. They don't deny that the miracles were taking place. I mean, you know, we've just seen some record in chapter 5 of astonishing miracles even the raising of the dead they're not querying that they call them uh works of power mighty works works of power the greek word is dynamis it's where we get that word dynamite from and dynamo it's explosive it's it's power and they're saying at the work of his hands they're accrediting these things to him So clearly, they're getting, he's a great teacher, and this is revolutionary, and he's a great worker of miracles. They're not denying any of that. We've never seen anything like it. But the problem is that they know him, know in inverted commas. They know him. But this is Jesus. You know, he used to run around the streets and splash in the puddles. We we know who he is. We know his family, he's he's from Mary's family, he's Mary's son. We know his brothers, they list, I think it's, I don't know what to make of it, they list all of his brothers, don't they? We know who he is, his sisters are with us. He's just this ordinary guy, that's their problem. There's nothing special about him, there's nothing unusual about him. They know his origins. They know his trade. The guy's a carpenter. He's a builder. He's a tecton. There's nothing remarkable about that. There's nothing special about that. They know his place in society. They know his position. They know the order of things. And it says that they took offense. They stumbled over it. In 1988, Australia celebrated its bicentenary, 200 years. And amongst the many uh, things that they did, they set up an international exposition in Brisbane, Expo 88. And they invited the nations of the world to come and exhibit their wares. And the theme of uh, the... um, Expo was leisure in the age of technology, and my father was invited to go to Brisbane and to exhibit uh, his uh, inventions um, in the British arena. Went on for about four, four months or so, and um, my father had uh, just invented the leisure entertainment simulator, so you may have ridden on one of these things. It's a... It's a pod that seats about 12, 16 people. You climb inside, the doors close. It's all black inside except for a screen at the front. And, um, and then what you see on the screen would be something like um, the, the view that you get from the front row of a roller coaster ride. And the, the, the vehicle jumps and bobs about, you know, up and down and round and round. Um, and the, the basic principle is that um, in, in the blackness, and all that you can see is the screen, the, the visual picture might move through 15, 20 degrees, but outside, the machine itself just rocks 2 or 3 degrees. So it's very safe, you don't have to be strapped down, there's no fear of um, harm, but, you know, that small movement is a big enough cue to your, to your ear and your sense of balance combined with a visual movement of 15 or 20 degrees, and you can really believe you're being thrown around in this thing and that you're actually riding on this roller coaster. Um, and, of course, they can make the roller coasters impossible to ride on. Um, and you can think you're being turned over and all the rest of it. So that's the way it goes. Um, so he, he had invented those, um, and so he went out, and he, he was, um, uh, you know, at this... Uh, in, in the English pavilion, in the British pavilion... Um, and Margaret Thatcher came out, and he, there's a photograph, um, he had a photograph on his wall of Margaret Thatcher stepping out of his leisure simulator. Anyway, I'm telling you all of this because, um, because I witnessed when he um, tried to explain to his mother what had happened and what he did. And I, she just didn't believe it. She just wouldn't accept it. And in her mind, her silly son was making up stories. And he hadn't been to Brisbane in Australia. He couldn't possibly have been to Brisbane in Australia. Somewhere else beginning with B. And it couldn't possibly have been a world expo where nations all over the world were exhibiting. It must have been some other smaller show. And he was just, you know, making it up. And she just didn't accept it. And even with pictures and photographs and stuff like that, she just wouldn't accept it because he was her little boy, and well, really, he was never going to amount to very much. And so these things just couldn't possibly be the case. And you know, I do remember her complete her complete refusal to accept it, and his frustration at it. You know, um, so that's the same kind of thing, really. You know, she she took offense at it. She just couldn't conceive that, that, that because she knew who he was, and he wouldn't have done these things. And I can see it's the same for these guys in Nazareth, but this is Jesus. There's nothing special there. There's nothing remarkable. You know, he's just an ordinary guy. He's just this Nazarene. And, you know, maybe they think, you know, he's gone off to Capernaum and he's picked up some highfalutin ideas and you know now he's swanning around the countryside Mr. Popular with the big crowds and it's all gone to his head but you know don't bring any of that back to us because we know who you are we know you're just this ordinary guy and none of this is true really you know talking about letting people believe you're the son of God talking about the kingdom of God is near oh, I don't these young people together with all their wild ideas. So they stumbled over it, and they just couldn't get beyond it. They just couldn't get past it. And Jesus is amazed. I, the Bible's full of some tremendous understatements. <laughs> I think verse 6, this is one of them. Uh, or verse 5, this is one of them. He could do no miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Um, you... Can, <laughs> I could live on that for months and months. Lay hands on a few sick people and they get healed. Yeah, it doesn't really amount to much, you know. It says something, really, about where Mark is coming from in first century Rome. In his church, laying hands on a few sick people and seeing them healed, that's just normal. That happens every week. Every Sunday, that's going on. So he regards that as, you know just normal, ordinary, as an understatement. There are a few other understatements in the Bible. I think probably the biggest one is back in Genesis where it's talking about the creation and it just says, he made the stars also. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) there's the whole universe. Oh yeah, he made the stars as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I want to just say people still stumble today many still stumble and I want you to recognize that the offense is built in the offense is built in let me read you a few scriptures here so this is 1 Peter 2 Uh, he's quoting Isaiah Um, uh, for this is contained in scripture behold I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, quoting again, this stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumbled, because they were disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. Let me read Romans 9. So that's Peter. Romans 9, 33. This is Paul. Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence, He who believes in him will not be disappointed. So our foundation stone is a stone of stumbling. It's a rock of offense, but it's also a he. It's Jesus, of course. He who believes in him. And we finish off here with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, verse, uh, verse 22. For indeed, Jews ask for a sign. And Greeks search for wisdom. Well, you know, they've got them both here. They're acknowledging them both, aren't they? What wisdom is this that's been given to him? And they acknowledge the signs, the miracles. Jews ask for a sign. Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block. And to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So this offense, this stumbling stone is built in. It is foundational. People will stumble over Christ. And why do they stumble over him? Well, because like the Nazarenes, he's not the savior that people are expecting. And this is not the salvation that people are looking for. You've only got to look at you know, your contemporary films pouring out of uh, Hollywood. If, if uh, Dale was here, he'd have, a, he'd have it on his T-shirt, wouldn't he? Some Marvel character or other. They are the saviors that people look for. And the salvation that they look for is, is, is heroic, and it's usually violent, um, and it usually involves, you know, daring deeds and things like that. But that's not the way a Heavenly Father has set things up. Jesus is, to most, an ordinary guy. If you're just looking on the surface, he's just an ordinary guy. Why is it that, you, you know, you say to a 21st century man or woman living in this modern Western world that actually... A tecton from 2,000 years ago being nailed to a cross by the Romans, that is where your salvation is to be found. It's the shedding of his blood that pays the price for your sin. You know, it's not something that the natural mind, that the mind of the flesh goes to, doesn't look right, doesn't feel, it feels offensive. Why is that guy my saviour? Why, why, why is it the cross? I mean, the cross isn't even a glamorous way to die. You know, it's a terrible way to die. And, you know, back 2,000 years ago, it was an ordinary way to die. You know, we might think of today as, you know, somebody on a hangman's noose or getting shot in a firing squad. It's, you know, along with a couple of other prisoners. There's nothing appealing is that there's nothing spectacular there's nothing that causes you know you in your humanity to rise to that it's a stone of stumbling it's a rock of offense the other problem is you know what we say to men and women is it's been done for you god was in christ jesus reconciling the world to himself through the cross you don't have to add anything to it. Nothing is required from you to add to it. That's a problem. Naaman had that problem. Remember, Naaman came to Elisha, and he wanted to be healed of leprosy. And Elisha just sent a message to him and said, wash seven times in the Jordan, and you'll be clean. And he was offended He said, well, I thought the guy would at least come out and wave his arms around and there'd be some kind of show there. And why the Jordan? The Jordan's dirtier than most of the rivers where I come from. What's the point of that? And he was offended and he turned and he started to head back. But he had some wise servants and they said to him, if the prophet had asked you to do some great thing, would you not have gone and done it? How much more, then, if he says simply to you, wash and be clean? And they just kind of, you know, they brought him down off of his pride, and he humbled himself, and, of course, he washed, and you know, and he was healed of leprosy. Um, and often, I think, you know, m- men and women look for some heroic thing. They want a work that they can add to this salvation. They want... Some means of meriting it, of deserving it, and the grace of God offends them. The fact is, it's all been done for you, and what is required of you is humility and surrender and bowing the knee and receiving what Christ has already done for you. And it's a problem. It's a problem for people. But you know what? It's completely foundational we can't get around it we can't um, we can't put it to the sidelines, it's absolutely essential, we preach Christ crucified, we don't preach Christ a good teacher, we don't preach Christianity as a self-help, this will be good for you, come and improve your life by adding Christianity to it, no sorry, you've got a Die to yourself. You've got to lay down your own life and take up the life that God is offering. The cross is an exchange of opposites. Reciprocity is the mathematical term. It's It's an exchange of opposites. You must bring your filth in order to receive his cleansing. You must bring your unworthiness in order to receive his righteousness you've got to bring what you're not you've got to bring all the things that that disqualify you all the things that you think i don't deserve any of this because of abc you've got to bring those with you to the cross in order to receive everything that's available don't go in with your best works don't go to the cross and say You know, I'd be really good in the church. If you saved me, Lord, boy, we could do some great stuff. You know, you'd just be ignored. You'd just be disqualified. You'd just be counted out. You've got to come and leave it all at the cross. All the stuff that you think is good, all the stuff that you think merits you, it's all got to be laid at the foot of the cross. And along with everybody else, you see, that's what makes us all equal. We're all equally just ordinary people. Normal, regular folk with nothing to merit our salvation. We are all people who have just received from the the grace of God. We've all had to humble ourselves at the foot of the cross and say, not my will, but yours. Not I, but Christ. And lay our lives down. And because we've all done that, we're all equal together, aren't we? We're just ordinary dudes. There's nothing special. There's nothing special. There's nothing special about Paul. You know, the guy's too young and he's got a bald head. There's nothing special about Dale. He's too short and too scruffy. Kane lives in Bournemouth. (laughs) I scratch my head too much and hesitate too much. Really, the best one out of all of us is Mark. He's half good, isn't he? He's half good. (laughs) Seriously, there's nothing good. There's nothing special about any of us. There's nothing special about Guy Miller. I bumped into him yesterday, walking on Ballard Down, heading for Old Harry Rocks. He was coming back the other way with Heather and uh, his uh, daughter and son-in-law. I didn't recognise him. He was just dressed in ordinary gear, like all of the others walking up and down that, that, that track, you know. You know what it's like when you see somebody in the crowd, and there's this kind of little alarm bell at the back of your head. And you think, do I know them? Is that who is that? And I, I saw Heather's face, and I, I, I kind of thought I know her. I just couldn't place it. So just couldn't work out. Didn't see Guy at all. And then he spotted us, and said hi. He's just an ordinary guy. He's just doing his thing, you know. There's no. He hasn't had an angel visit him and say, you know, yea unto thee, thou shalt do this. He's just. He's just. He just loves Jesus and trying to do his best. And that's where we're at as well. And that's all that's required, okay? That's all that's required. So, it's a stumbling block. It's a cause of offence. Let's not remove it. Folk will stumble over it. Because, you know, in the end... <laughs> if you're in a shipwreck and the ship's going down... If you reckon you can save yourself, then, you know, you're going to grab hold of whatever you can, can't you? You're going to grab hold of bits of wood and anything that's going to float, and you're going to swim like mad. You're going to be, you know, that's what you're going to go for, isn't it? You're not going to look for the guy on the bank who's waving at you and trying to throw you a life, a life belt. You're not going to look for him until you've come to the end of your own resources, And that's often the way for folk. They need to come to the end of their own resources. They need to realize they cannot save themselves. And then they look for a savior. And then Jesus is the most glorious savior and the most available and immediately, you know, there. And will save to the uttermost. And will save above and beyond all that you can ask or think. But until that point that you need a savior, you, 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 until you recognize your own sin and your own inability to be right with God, you're not going to look for a savior. So we, you know, we, need to, we need to be clear about focus in us. We need to tell them that. It's not a popular message. Much easier message, isn't it, to say, well, I've said that. I'm not. Much easier message to say, come and help yourself. Come and save yourself. Add this to your you know, repertoire. It'll be good for you. We need to tell people, you're lost. You know, you need a saviour. You need a saviour. And there is a saviour for you. And you need to cry out. And when you cry out, boy, he's a big saviour. Boy, he's there for you. Right. Okay. Um, that's it, really. That's it, really. That's, that's what you get from that passage. So, be happy in your ordinariness and celebrate it. Um, and, and be at peace. You don't have to be anything spectacular for God. You never were. You're not going to impress him. (laughs) Just leave it. And just be normal and humble and get on with life. Don't be worried about the fact that folk will be offended by your message. That this dude who died on a cross 2,000 years ago paid the price for you to be right with God. That's the salvation that's available, and all you need to do is humble yourself, come to the foot of the cross, empty yourself, and fill yourself with Christ, and it's all available. Don't be ashamed of saying those things, because that's the truth, and that's what people need to hear. And that's the power of God to them, you know, that's the power of God for salvation. And um, there's plenty more, as we read on in Mark, that's spectacular, and wow, and praise the Lord. But right here with the Nazarenes, he just healed a few sick, really, that's all. <laughs> so let's believe for the understatements of God as well. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a passage in, um, in Acts, you know, where Paul preaches a sermon on Mars Hill. It's absolutely, it's a thundering sermon. It's a model sermon. It's absolutely brilliant. And then... There's a few people that get saved. Some guy called Demetrius or whatever. It's just sketched in there, you know. It's like, yeah, I could, you know, let's see some of that then. We'll start with the understatements and build it from there, shall we? Right. Let's have the band up and let's, um, let's just worship and let's be, let's be thankful, you know, for our, our saviour. Let's rejoice in our saviour. Let's be confident in our salvation. Um, well able to deal with our ordinariness and our weakness and our lack of you know being anything special and let's look at one another and just you know rejoice that you know we are part of this wonderful ordinariness called the church through whom God is saving the world (laughs) couldn't believe it could you (laughs) but there we go let's